0: Hello Tech Intersect listeners, this is producer Stephanie Renee, here to let you know that Dr. Evans is off taking care of some other business this week. So we'll be highlighting a special spotlight of one of her Ping the Prof episodes that is still timely. But before we get into the content, we want to let you know that on June 1st, Dr. Evans will be hosting a second free Secure Your Crypto Bag webinar. In this masterclass, Forbes 50 over 50 listee, former maker Dow chair, tenured law professor and crypto educator, Dr. Tanya M. Evans, will share her secure secrets on how to spot a crypto scammer and industry best practices to secure your crypto so you can buy and store crypto safely and confidently. Claim your advantage in the new economy. Prepare to win in the future. Today, Again, this masterclass will be held on June 1st, 2022 at 6 p.m. Eastern. Register at secureyourcryptobag.com and then join the conversation and submit your questions in the private online club at readytoexplore.club. And now, this week, we highlight her Ping the Prof episode number three. What every NFT creative collector should know about IP.
1: Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner, and I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now, and it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I take host privilege to do a topic-specific episode because my inbox, people, my inbox, the DMs, they're all overflowing. Speaker requests are at an all-time high. I've received so many questions about intellectual property and non-fungible tokens, also known as NFTs or Nifties, and I've heard so much misinformation out there on social media, especially Clubhouse, that I had to get this episode out there, so we are all operating with the same set of facts and legal truths. And also to give you a telltale sign if you're about (laughs) to get bad legal advice. So this is how it usually goes. The person will start by saying five words. I'm, I'm going to count that as one word. I'm not a lawyer, but if you hear anyone say that, I want you to leave the clubhouse room immediately, sign off of Twitter, ask them to delete their account uh, or worse yet, I've seen and heard this as well, an attorney that says, I'm not an IP lawyer, but. So when you hear those phrases, all I'm going to tell you is let the NFT creator or investor or platform beware. And speaking of that, let me expertise myself in case you don't know Who I am, I am Tanya Evans, obviously, an intellectual property, innovation, and technology law professor at Penn State Dickinson Law School, former associate dean of academic affairs at the University of New Hampshire School of Law, where I created the first blockchain cryptocurrency and law online certificate program. I was also the chair of intellectual property programs at UNH Law as well. I'm the chair of the Maker Foundation, part of the MakerDAO community. So if you've heard of the MKR governance token or the stablecoin DAI, that's my tribe, that's my community. I'm also the creator of the From Cash to Crypto suite of courses and owner of Advantage Evans. And I wrote CryptoKitties Cryptography and Copyright back in 2018 for BYU, Brigham Young University's Copyright and Trademark Symposium. It was published back in 2019. And I've been writing about and fascinated by the intellectual property issues, mostly on the copyright side, copyright and trademark as well, specifically, and also the empowering aspects of the technology for creatives in particular, especially those who are traditionally underestimated from the black and brown community, perhaps from the queer community, women. So I always believed that in the same way that blockchain disintermediated finance, that the same technology could and would at some point do the same in IP intensive industries like art and music and media, also clearly collectibles. And we see a lot going on in the sports world as well. So I'm using this Ping the Prof Number three, to give you an overview of the different types of intellectual property, because oftentimes people are confusing or using the incorrect term to refer to copyright. Maybe they're calling it patent or intending to refer to trademark and talking about trade secret or right of publicity. So let me just unpack everything, give you a brief overview of intellectual property, what it is, the different types, drill down a little bit more into copyright and fair use. And finally, identify what rights, this is a question I get almost every day at this point, what rights do you acquire when you buy an NFT? What does the artist transfer? What rights does she retain? And what does the purchaser receive? All great questions, and I'll talk about all of those in this episode. Before we jump into the episode, take a moment to like, share, and comment so that others who would benefit from this content Can actually find it. Also, subscribe. And I also invite you to visit my website, advantageevans.com, to learn more about my full suite of From Cash to Crypto courses. There's something for everyone from newbie to the person who wants to take their crypto investments or their work to the next level to prepare for the future of money and entrepreneurship and work. So, seize this opportunity to learn while you earn create generational wealth, do so safely, legally, and confidently. I have multi-lesson modules, live coaching, and community. I've worked hard to make it all make sense so you don't have to. I'll give you the unbiased facts in plain language and give you a solid foundation. So please visit AdvantageEvans.com for more information. Okay, it's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. So non-fungible tokens or NFTs are a way to prove ownership and to exercise control over some other asset. Maybe it's digital, some image, video, music file, audiovisual work, or even access to a physical object like Micah Johnson has done with his exquisite series of digital and physical art titled Aku. Now, unlike cryptocurrencies, which are fungible, meaning one- is the same as the other, uh, one within a a specific class. So all Bitcoin, it doesn't matter if you have one or the other, or in the fiat world, fiat is government issued currency. One dollar is the same as the other, even though technically they each have their own serial number. One dollar is interchangeable with the other. It doesn't matter which one you have.
0: You love listening to podcasts.
1: Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. But in the world of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, they are each unique. And they're not capable of being duplicated because of the same cryptographic protocols that protect things like Bitcoin. They're also scarce. And that scarcity is verifiable because the transactional information is recorded to the relevant blockchain, the Ethereum virtual machine or Flow, for example. So that cool image, collectible or video that the NFT owner owns doesn't actually live on a blockchain. Instead, the token represents ownership and provides the ability to access and transfer, as I mentioned. It also refers to a file that sits somewhere else on the web for example, using the Interplanetary File System, or IPFS. So this particular episode won't take a deep dive into NFT basics. I'm going to presume that you have a certain amount of information and understanding about the space and really focus on the IP issues for this episode. But I will drop a link to a previous conversation and podcast and also some NFT basics out there on the web so that you can find out more information if you're not familiar with the space. But on to the intellectual property issues. So I'm excited about all the conversations of how NFTs can empower creatives to connect directly with fans, to participate in downstream royalties, and also serve as the proof of facts and circumstances of creation or minting and ownership, and also obviously chain of title. But I want to issue a clear word of caution about the copyright implications. So let's begin at the beginning. There's several different types of intellectual property, copyright, trademark, patent, trade secret, and also right of publicity. A lot of those will be outside the scope of what we're talking about today. I wanna focus on copyright, but it's important for artists and investors to assess your IP assets and rights to develop an intellectual property strategy so that you can maximize the value and also protect your creation or investment. So in order to understand intellectual property, it's important to understand the word property. There are two categories of property, tangible and intangible. And for purposes of this discussion and intellectual property is intangible personal property that is property created with the mind that can take a form of uh, some tangible form, particularly when we're talking about copyright. Now, in order to talk about copyright, let's talk about a few others and distinguish them. First, let's start with trademark. A trademark is a word, a phrase, a symbol, a sound like the NBC chimes or the MGM roar or a, even a smell in the legal world, anything that can signal to a consumer that a specific business or entity or person is selling a particular good or service so that the customer is not confused about the origins of that service. A clear example is seeing the golden arches anywhere in the world. Even if you didn't know what McDonald's made or sold, whenever you would see that, that would be a signal to you as a consumer that that particular symbol is connected to a very specific product or service. And it also makes me think of Coming to America, where we had McDowell's instead of McDonald's, and that was problematic. And some lawyers showed up towards the end of the first film, Coming to America. But you don't want people to go in and be confused or even be likely to be confused when they see what appears to be the golden arches, thinking that it's McDonald's and actually it's McDowell. So that's a good example of trademark. There are both state and federal protections for trademarks in this day and age. It doesn't really make much sense to have a a state-specific trademark. If a business has a website and is offering their goods or services for sale in interstate commerce, meaning across state lines, then federal law would attach And you don't have to register your trademark, but there are significant benefits from doing so. So definitely find out more about trademark if you want to know more about those specifics. But trademark is not copyright. Let's talk about patent. Patent gives exclusive rights to the inventor of a thing, a product, or a process that is useful, novel, and non-obvious. You can protect software with patent rights under certain circumstances, with some exceptions for abstract ideas. There are also other exceptions for laws of nature and natural phenomena. Patent protection lasts for 20 years. There's also trade secrets. So sometimes you don't want to disclose how a thing, a product, or a process works. And if that thing, product, or process can't be deconstructed so that you can figure out how it works just by looking at it. That's a really great opportunity to protect that thing, product, or process by trade secret. That's state-by-state law. And as long as the thing that is being protected remains secret, that's how long protection would last. Think of Bush's baked beans recipe or the recipe for Coca-Cola, for example. Right of publicity is state law that protects the exclusive use of one's name, image, or likeness in commercial activities. That is not copyright. But getting to finally, copyright. Copyright is also a federal law that gives the owner of the rights, beginning in most cases with the creator of an original literary or artistic work that is expressed in some tangible form. In a way that is sufficiently permanent so that it is capable of being copied, obviously, or distributed or adapted into some type of derivative work. For example, if I write a book and then sell the rights so that somebody can make a play based on my book, that play derived from the original work, which was the book. So derivative works or adaptations. Or also to publicly perform the work or to publicly display if it's capable of being performed or displayed. What I've just mentioned are the rights that make up the bundle of rights of copyright. Copyright actually isn't one right, but a bundle of rights, the right to copy and distribute those copies, make adaptations, publicly perform, and or publicly display, depending upon the nature of this literary or artistic work. Protection lasts for the life of the author plus 70 years after the author's death. You don't have to register your copyright for the rights to exist, but you definitely have to register your copyright before you are able to sue someone for copyright infringement. In fact, the Supreme Court stated in a unanimous opinion in 2019, registration is a prerequisite and required. So you can have all the rights in the world and suffer an infringement, lose valuable benefits, and then still have to register in order to enforce your copyright in a court of law. Uh, I would venture to guess that there are many artists who are not taking the time to register their copyrights. So that is a first step as a best practice that you should get into the practice of doing. And I will talk more about that in a future episode, or you can DM me or ping me on Twitter, and I can point you to some additional information. You can also go to copyright.gov, and find out how to register your copyright. Now, not all unauthorized use of a copyrighted work is actually actionable. And so you may have heard the term fair use. Fair use is often confused with public domain, and public domain is a term of art in copyright law. Public domain does not mean I found it on the internet. (laughs) That just means it's available to the public. That is not public domain under copyright law. But fair use and public domain are different. Public domain means there is no copyright protection to an artistic or literary work, either because It has lost protection over time. It's been around for so long, for example, that it is no longer protected by copyright or it may have been dedicated to the public. Sometimes people just dedicate their copyrights to the public. And so public domain is different than fair use, which means technically speaking, the work is protected by copyright. There is some unauthorized use, but there is a legal excuse known as fair use. Now, how do you know if you're making a fair use of somebody else's copyrighted work? Well, a court evaluates this question based on four factors, and they use those four factors to determine whether or not an unauthorized use is permissible, and there's certain uses that are favored. So non-commercial use as opposed to commercial use. Are you making a transformative use of the work? I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Is it based on comment or criticism? Is it for education or research purposes? So not selling it or having some commercial purpose is helpful, but remember there are four factors. Let me tell you what they are. The first factor is the purpose and character of the use. Why are you using it? So again, are you using it for some non-commercial educational purpose, for research, for comment, for criticism, for parody, for example? some type of commentary that is a valued, unauthorized use. And now this is just one of the four factors, but the reason that an artist might appropriate something that already exists to transform it and to make it into something new, that is something that is a favored, highly expressive and protective creative step factor 2 the nature of the copyrighted work so the work that is being copied is it highly creative and expressive or is it pretty much like me talking about the copyright act there're only a couple of, a few different ways to say something that is based on fact and so unless there's like verbatim copying then if i haven't created something that's very creative then there's a little less protection of that versus something that is highly creative and expressive, that might be subject to greater and stronger protections. But again, that's only the second factor. Then you have factor three, the amount or substantiality of the portion used of that original work. Did you use all of it or a small part of it? And technically speaking, you could use without permission 100% of a work, but then your use of it would have to be highly transformative that you are uh, repurposing it for something completely different, not just, again, verbatim copying that would be problematic. And sometimes you can use a small part of a work and yet still run afoul of copyright closer to infringement because you have used the heart of the work. This happens a lot in music, for example. If somebody's sampling a hook, they may not take all the bars, but if you take the most important part, that is highly identifiable and associated with the original work. Even if it's a small part, it might be the most important, the most valuable part. And so that might be the heart of the work and that might be problematic. And then factor four, the final factor, the effect of your use on the potential market for the copyrighted work? Have you used so much of it and in a way that now people don't have to go and buy the work that was copied because they can find everything that they need in the way that you have used the work? So those are the four factors, the four fair use factors that a court would use in order to figure it out. For artists, I encourage you to be highly transformative in your use. That is the type of use that supports collage. And so it's a valuable part of the art world and the music world but you should tread lightly if you are using existing copyrighted work in your own. As for what someone receives when they are paying for and buying an NFT, now this is important. I've used this example a bit. It's the evidence of ownership and the ability to control, as I said earlier. So think of the example of a deed, a piece of paper that represents ownership in a home. The deed is not the home, but the deed shows that you, and and it needs to be properly recorded. So imagine that the NFT is recording transactions and balances, or like who owns at any given time, and that is registered. So the blockchain is keeping the recording of transactions and value, and also that because you have the NFT. You can digitally sign and transfer exerting ownership over the underlying asset, that copy of the work. You would consider it if the NFT represents one single piece that the person who owns the NFT has the right to use and enjoy that digital piece, or if there is some reference and access to a physical piece, for example. I know that NFTs have been used in the real estate space, for example, and there's a lot of talk of tokenizing real world assets. And so we'll hear more of that, not just in the collectibles and the IP intensive industries, but in other industries as well. And what the investor or the purchaser receives is not the copyright in the underlying work, if it is protected by copyright, but the ownership interest in that Particular unique creative asset or underlying asset. So there's some confusion about whether or not someone is taking copyright in addition to control and ownership over the underlying asset, absent some type of contract or license that says, in addition to your right to use and enjoy this copy of this particular work that is connected to this NFT, the artist maintains original control over it and by it, I mean control over the bundle of rights that is copyright. Now, the person who gets the NFT, you can do whatever you want to with your particular copy in the same way. If I bought a painting, for example, and I wanted to burn the painting down to the ground and then repurpose it and do something else, it's interesting. Uh, A lot of people have asked me about that as well. If I have a book and I want to burn the book, I can absolutely do that, or I can sell my copy of the book. What I can't do is to make copies of that book. I cannot distribute copies of that book. I cannot take that book and sell the rights and make a film and all of those other things. So copyright is separate and apart from the physical manifestation or the digital representation of the underlying asset. All right, that is enough intellectual property for one day to wet your whistle and to get you to start thinking about how you as an artist or you as a purchaser, an investor, or you as a platform need to manage intellectual property rights generally, copyright in particular, and also trademark issues as you are entering into this space. It's a really exciting time, but there are considerable pitfalls for the unwary who are not well-versed in their intellectual property rights or really understanding what is being transferred as well. So if you have any questions, please follow me on Twitter and IG. Catch me in a clubhouse room near you soon and very soon. Invite me to your clubhouse room. I'd love to talk about these issues more. Thank you for continuing to send your comments and your questions and your concerns. Keep them coming. Let me know Um, how I can help you. And also let me know what ahas, favorite moments that you had listening to this particular episode. Drop a comment, tweet me at Advantage Evans, and please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right. That's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.
0: Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media. On Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.